0: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 170. Uh, Guys, if you're going to be in Oakland on Saturday, February 25th, I am going to moderate a Walking Dead panel at Image Expo. That's going to be with uh, Norman Reedus and Robert Kirkman and Steve Young. Uh, So so come to that if you're in Oakland. Or if you're not, listen, I'm not going to tell you what cities you can and can't travel to. Uh, so go to ImageComicExpo.com to get information about that We're going to be appearing there Also, we're going to be in Boulder doing the Nerdist Podcast live on March 2nd And then in Austin, Texas on March 3rd So tons of other shows around the country Go to nerdis.com slash calendar for that I'd also like to thank our returning sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast, Stamps.com um, I don't love lines And you probably don't love lines either So why stand in them? You don't have to with stamps.com. You can buy and print US postage in your own house with your computer on your printer. It's quick and easy. Uh, Takes less than five minutes to get started. Any kind of letters or packages you want to send, just instantly you get it. And then they'll just come and pick it up from you. The the postman will just pick it up, and then you don't have to leave your house. The best reason ever to not put on pants, Stamps.com. So right now they have a special offer for Nerdist listeners. There's a no-risk trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and $55 of free postage, but only if you enter the promo code Nerdist. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Nerdist. That's Stamps.com, promo code Nerdist. All right, so this episode, uh, I was in New York recently shooting the hour uh, stand-up special for Comedy Central. Thank you so much if you came to that. That was an amazing experience. While I was there, I got to pop over to the SNL studios and uh, podcast Seth Meyers, who was awesome. Um, I, I can't even tell you what a great guy he was. Just super nice, very generous with his time. We actually did the podcast in the green room for SNL, and <laughs> so... Uh, sound checking and rehearsing other side of the wall was uh, the band Sleigh Bells, so they're they're the accidental musical guest. Uh, if you hear like guitars playing and then it's very kind of faint in the background, it sounds like it sounds like someone in your building is is playing music in a band and you don't know which apartment it is. Like it it sounds like that. Uh, so thanks again to uh, Seth Meyers and to uh, SNL and to Sleigh Bells for <laughs> accidentally playing on the podcast. Very faintly in the background. All right, podcast ho!
1: Now entering Nerdist.com.
0: The guitar I think I I think it actually it sounds I got it but it sounds cool. Okay it just it sounds like So it'll stop event in like 30 minutes. <laughs> Should we put on the wall? You goddamn kids and you came it down out of there with grown-ups. You said it's sleigh bells? It's sleigh bells, yeah. That's exciting.
1: They're definitely. That's just like a roadie working it right now because this is earlier than. Yeah, this is
0: earlier. than that. Oh, so basically this is just Guitar Center right now, or. Oh yeah, <laughs> this isn't. Don't don't try to get your
1: listeners to think they're hearing.
0: <laughs> this guy's gonna break in a stairway in a second, they, they, they and then Blackbird. Like, and then. Yeah. Oh.
1: Carmen did last week. They were there for their real
0: sound check. Oh yeah. No, well, the no, real sleigh bells will show up. This is just oh, a little yeah, earlier. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's,
0: it's amazing. Uh. Anyway, so what you're hearing in the background is uh, the, the Sleigh Bells roadies on tour, I think. But Seth, thank you for coming down and being here my pleasure. in your green room on the old podcast roof. Yeah. There we go. have uh, I think we met briefly, I came to the season finale last year. Okay, yeah. Which was phenomenal. Yeah, that was about as good as it was. Such a great finale. show.
1: I think that's probably the best one in my ten season finales. Really? Yeah. Uh, but that was great. That was Timberlake, right? It was Justin Timberlake. I'm just remembering that it was a good season. I was trying to re-piece together. It was Justin
0: Timberlake and Lady Gaga. Yeah, and I, I still am trying to understand Lady Gagaism. I'm trying. I really am. I'm trying to be open minded about it. Right. Um, but. I will say it's
1: very easy. I think we. So delight in her, because of what she 's done when she 's been on the show, because she 's such a showman right like there's such an incredible live element to her, which is what makes our best musical guests yeah, sort of special is ones who take advantage of the
0: fact that there's this live element well, because then there there was this after party, this giant after party in the Rockefeller Center, mm-hmm. which I always feel bad about what well, the one time i 've gone because it I left at three o'clock in the morning and it was still thumping, and I was looking around at buildings and't people live
1: around here Isn't yeah it? i don't know it, like uh, the, the weird thing is i'm like do people live there Are they all office buildings i feel bad because you can just walk by and look down at the party yeah so it's like a real velvet rope nightclub but like one that has like um glass walls yes so people can see the party they're not invited to and
0: uh, that's true that's what but then, then that's kind it. of cool at the same time oh if well, you... i mean I, if you're on the right side of it <laughs> It's super cool. (laughs) I think Lady Gaga, quote unquote, DJed. I don't know.
1: She did. Yeah, Lady Gaga DJed, and um, you. I would have been more excited. I think everybody would have been more excited if she'd sung sung. But I don't think that was the. She took over the DJ thing, and it became like you realize how good a DJ is at keeping a dance party going, right? Because it's not... it kind
0: of slowed down when Lady Gaga's. DJing is one of those things, like acting teacher, where it's like people just go like, "Oh yeah, I'll just do that." Right. Like, well, there is a certain skill. Oh, absolutely, because it looks like you can do it, <laughs> but it's not right. And, and especially, now, I mean, like you know, in the, in the old days when we were younger, Seth, the DJ had to carry around turntables and like right. crates of records, and now it's at just... the very least
1: they were succeeding because they had. Like, giving up the trunk of their car. Exactly. The lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. And you
0: could really... And and they they
1: only had access to the music that they brought. But there was even, like, when Gaga was uh, DJing, like, there were even, like, long gaps between... Like, you felt like she was, like, thumbing through the iPod
0: to get to the next song. <laughs> there wasn't even, like,
1: the transition software or, and, like, the
0: next song queued up. And it wasn't anything that was... Surprising, where you are like, Oh my yeah. god, is she playing Argent? Like it wasn't it wasn't anything crazy. It was like, Yeah, that's about what you'd think, you know, sort of generic, dancey. Yeah. You know.
1: It's funny, like celebrity DJing is like I won Celebrity Poker once, like yeah. when that was a show. And people always are like, You must be so good at poker. I'm like, when celebrity's in front of it, that is it becomes it means worse. I've won it's Celebrity Jeopardy poker. in the
0: nineties yeah. and it was the people were like, Wow, and I'm like No, it was just, you know, Right. Roses are blank. <laughs> what is blue? But see, some people see even like
1: Celebrity Jeopardy I'd be too intimidated to do, I think.
0: It was crazy. I uh ugh, not to brag, I beat up Patrick Duffy.
1: Great. See, that's a guy who looks like there's some intelligence behind. <laughs> he's the actually a super smart guy. <laughs> I beat out uh Dave Navarro was the last one. Oh my
0: god! We just had Patrick him down. on Talking Dead. Yeah. It was really fun. Dave Navarro is really He's a nice guy. Super nice guy. Yeah. I really like I like meeting people that, you know, it's Like the, the people just have this image like, oh, my God, he must be fucking crazy. Like, no, He's a nice guy. He's and a super nice
1: guy. This is like a regular dude. Yeah. It's funny how they say like in poker, you, people have tells. I felt like when I was playing poker with Dave Navarro, he had a million tells that told me he was cooler than I was. <laughs> like everything. I just kept looking at him. I couldn't get to any poker tells because I was like, God, this guy is so much cooler than I am. <laughs>
0: oh, fuck. What? <laughs> oh, uh, nothing. I, um, oh, shit. I'm no good at this. I can't play poker whenever... I'm I'm bad at dude things, and mm-hmm. so when someone says like, "Oh, we're having a poker night," I don't know.
1: Yeah, it was funny. It was such a um, I would say like a 24 month phenomenon here in New York, where like everybody at SNL played. People, we would have chips
0: in our office. We'd play on Thursday nights, and then it just went away. I never would have saw. I never would have seen the uh, the poker craze coming if I had been a television executive. Right. And someone said, "We want to put." professional poker players I'd be like no but what's your real pitch like oh, I it's never not. would have thought that was a thing that you could watch and then it- well I love how it was uh,
1: basically that invention of that lipstick camera that shows the cards <laughs> like right. they, obviously no one would watch poker if you couldn't see what cards people had right and then someone was finally like what if we put a tiny camera
0: there oh
1: and then and it's like crack sudden,
0: the code yeah. So it's not just looking at the uh, the Filipino guy with the mullet and the crazy reflective right. shades and the weird cowboy snake hat. You're, well, you'll watch that guy if you know what cards he has. <laughs> if you true. don't know what cards he has, then you're just trying to figure out why you put those clothes on. But even watching, I'm still like, I don't... He's got two... I don't understand Texas Hole. Okay, so he's got two aces, right. but then there's a couple... I don't I've know I've never been happening. able to watch it.
1: I've never been able to, to watch it. But it goes to show you that there's people will watch almost anything.
0: Well, and you think... I mean as long as because you work in this business a long time too but every time you think like oh I really know what people want to watch uh. and then stuff you love gets canceled and then stuff that you're like that shit and it's cute phenomenon. The funny thing though about that shit is like I
1: think that and then anytime like I accidentally watch it you see you're like I'm not I would not have, I'm not a reality fan at all right. but like if you accidentally stumble into like watching the bachelor you're like, oh, I. this is incredibly riveting. <laughs> like, I'm not, like, this is well-produced. I mean, I don't consider it high-minded or anything, but, like, you realize, like, certain people come home from work and want to just escape. And right. it's, it's escapism done incredibly well. Right. So, I do find that, like, I mean, there, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of awful things on television, but I am always surprised at how a lot of things that I would categorize as, like, hard to watch, you go, oh no, the, the, why they're on TV is they're so easy to watch. Right. They just require very little
0: work. Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's. I guess it's not, I guess it's, I mean, I don't like it, but when a show like Arrested Development gets canceled, it's like, oh yeah, because you have to pay attention to the jokes. Oh, yeah. And you have to watch the through line and you have to see where how everything's going to tie together and that requires focus. You burned calories watching Arrested <laughs> Development. Like, Arrested <laughs> Development was like... It was the, a good ab workout. Yeah, you
1: felt like... Proud of yourself the way you do when you like finish a good book. Right. Because you just, you were so, I mean it wasn't just that it was funny, but you were so appreciative of the craftsmanship. But yeah you have to have a different kind of mindset to enjoy a show like
0: Yeah, that. it just hurt my heart a little bit trying to explain to my dad why it was funny that David Cross wanted to paint himself blue. Right. Like, because, oh, I'm not gonna win this. Well we, you know, even here sometimes we'll, you know, seven
1: comedy writers will be in a room arguing about why something is funny. And there's that point where you go, if we're arguing about it this much, it might not be. That's you know, an interesting. Like, that's an interesting. You know, point. like at some point yeah. you're like, well, how much? Like, we're not going to be able to stand out before the sketch and explain to the audience exactly what we're doing for them. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes if I'm if I'm pitching a joke to someone and they even take a second to be like, I don't understand, I go, if you don't get it, then the majority of people watching who are maybe right. even a little less comedy savvy, yeah. like to other comedy writers. Even if it just takes them a second to kind of go, wait, what? Like, then it's oh, the moment is gone. Right. The moment is absolutely gone. Well,
1: I remember like the Lonely Island guys. I remember once being like, most of our friends think this is great. I'm like, if even one of your friends <laughs> doesn't think it's great, well, there's a huge problem because like you are. That's an incredibly narrow tranche.
0: Yes. Of like comedy fans. Yeah, but but fortunately, you know, I mean, th- these comedy fans used to be separated Mm -hmm. (laughs) geographically and also communication-wise, but now, fortunately, enough of them can clump together with the Internet that now we can have, you know... Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the best
1: thing about our show is that you can have all these different pieces that, you know, I think different people can clump to and be like, that was my favorite thing, this was my favorite thing, so...
0: I did not watch the... uh, I didn't watch the Lana Del Rey performance, mainly because some people said it was so... Like, I didn't see it, I don't know what it was, but people were like, it was really uncomfortable... As a performer I can't I cannot watch uncomfortable performances yes. because it I'm very empathetic in that way and I just go I can't, it just it skeeves me on a really on a really deep. Oh level. I think it's the worst thing to, the <laughs> hardest thing to watch is yes, people being uncomfortable, absolutely. But I did watch the way that you guys dealt with it. Yeah. And I thought that was really fun. Like it, it was I mean for us,
1: I mean first of all, you know, I can't stress enough how little as far as a writing staff or cast we're concerned with how the music is going. Right. Like we're barely paying attention. Uh, you know, because obviously we're scrambling to put together the, the comedy portion of the show. With that said, like, you know, I, we were shocked at the backlash towards her. Like, again, we've had all different kinds of performers on the show. And um, for her to have, like, what seemed like the most intense vitriolic reaction was, like, hard to kind of wrap our heads around. Like, I mean, she looked, like, ethereal and, you know, spooky in a way that seemed <laughs> like what she was aiming for. And right. she definitely... You know, I thought, you know, might have seemed a little uh, nervous, but that was only sort of going back and looking. But it seems weird that people would be so sort of, I don't know, angry about nervousness uh, as opposed to sympathetic. Again, that's all fine. The the strangest thing to me was like she wore the same outfit both times. Again, that was the thing. We were like, (laughs) wow, I can't remember the last time, uh, like, sort of, uh, certainly anyone that would be categorized as like a, diva songstress yeah. have not taken the opportunity to give us two looks <laughs> um, but I like her songs and again I you know it's a variety show and I so love uh, the variety of the music yeah and I love that there are people that are not for everyone and, again, I've, we were so fascinated and delighted by any time people, you know, either love or hate someone. I
0: think it, uh, I just going to turn up the recording level just in case, because I think Sleigh Bells might actually be rehearsing that. That's actually um, that, yeah. man. Um, but uh, I think what happens is just the way things spiral out of control, a handful of people on Twitter say something. Right. And then just the, the collection of that people are enough to inspire, like, like Huffington Post or so, someone else sure. to pick it up and go oh this must this is the thing right and then they make it a thing and then everyone else jumps on board and they're like oh yeah i guess that's a thing and yeah. then they all start weighing in on it and all of a sudden it's a phenomenon where absolutely and i look i you know
1: have nothing but empathy for the content generators of this world being one myself. Oh, yeah. So, I can see how uh, it became a thing. Again, like, you know, whether it's fair or not, a thing became interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um, And people are entitled their opinions and I'm always happy. You know, look, when when Twitter explodes with anything on our show,
0: positive or negative, at least reflects the fact that people are watching the show so. it didn't seem to hurt her career in any way yeah. like it, yeah, she sold a bunch of albums although I went to I didn't I hadn't really heard of her before I mean she had a song called video games right um, you have Google for anyone who would sing a song about video games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, there's another one. Oh, oh, this isn't just a sketch group yeah. in, uh, yeah. in
1: Ottawa. <laughs> this is actually so.
0: A beautiful made. woman. This is like your computer blew up. What's happening? <laughs> Although I did, I did listen. I was like, I didn't read the lyrics of the song, and it just, it just looked like someone had a rhyming dictionary. Like, oh look, tar rhymes with car, and that rhymes with bar. Yeah. But whatever, it's fine. Like, it's her music doesn't have to be for me, and she might be a totally nice person. But I did. I looked at her Twitter profile, and it just, here's here's my theory, and it totally okay. may not be right on, but so her Twitter profile says, everything I want, I have, money, notoriety, and rivieras. I even think I found God in the flashbulbs of your pretty cameras. So when I first saw that, I was like, right, what the fuck, come on, what yeah. the fuck? what right. are you doing? And then I had this weird sort of epiphany, like, wait a minute, she's like the comedian from Watchmen. You can't, she is, she is a, she's perfect. She's a, like a satirical reflection of the true nature of contemporary society. Like this is what everyone, this is what America really wants. I just want to be famous and I see God in paparazzi and I just want money and fame. And I, and I feel like that's, that makes sense to me. Well, it's funny because
1: I mean, I, I will admit that I have not spent a lot of time trying to break down Lana Del Rey. But I will say that there was seem well, to be spent
0: like a half hour.
1: Well no, I'm telling you I'm about to give you a solid half hour myself. Okay. It's mostly <laughs> I've just been busy. It's not like I find it a waste of time. I you know, if she is a construction, which I feel like people have blamed her for as well, like a lot of people are constructions. Oh, well, and without like a doubt. if you do if you say you're a comedian and you do a construction, people <laughs> say you're a genius. Right. But if you do it in You know, pop culture Or, you know, if you do it in singing or movies Like, all of a sudden there's this real You know, is this person a phony? But then the other thing is, like, you know If what she says there in her Twitter profile About finding God Like, that seems like That would be her being honest Mm -hmm. And then The anger is that people don't like What she's being honest about So, like, people say they want honesty Right, unless unless their honesty is different than your honesty and then right, you're upset about that too. It's an impossible situation, and I will say like there's plenty of people in popular music uh that have uh high opinions of themselves, <laughs> Wait, I mean what? Like, yeah, I mean like by the way, you kind of have to
0: to go out there like it is a pretty obnoxious arrogant thing to be like what I have to say is important enough I mean even as comedians absolutely even as comedians absolutely to get up in front of a room full of strangers and be like hey everyone look at me right here's a bunch of things I want to point out uh-huh. uh huh it, uh it, it, it is pretty obnoxious yeah you're right though It's uh, and again
1: I, rock stars don't have that comedian's move of like walking out before their first song and being like I know you're wondering where'd I buy this outfit <laughs> you know like they don't get that <laughs> they have to own it more than comedians can they don't get to like deconstruct it right um and uh, yeah, it, it, it's it. great. Like, by the way, you're right. Like, people, of course, in the end, on uh, on all culture and politics and everything, get to they eventually get to vote, right, on whether or not somebody's going to have a long career or a short career. So if you just have a little patience, like, it'll all bear out.
0: Oh, Guns N' Roses was right. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, I can't. Wait. You back, you backed me into a quote about Guns N' Roses. I'm so sorry. I did. This was my plan. I'm going to paint you into that
1: Guns N' Roses corner. I want to go back an 80 army saying like as Guns and Roses so <laughs> definitely point it out
0: and then you break into the, like with sleigh bells Yeah. I've been walking the streets at <laughs> night uh, but I, I think uh, I think the other thing that people got so upset about is that she with, with relatively no um, notoriety or whatever like was playing on SNL and just got famous right almost I think to most people seemingly overnight right and people are jealous and distrustful of that you're like wait who the fuck is that Absolutely. who's this new person you're trying right. to tell me actually like fuck you system you know yep. so i think there's a little bit of
1: that that i as well. totally understand um and, and i mean i i'm not gonna you know i think we're you and i are probably about the same age and yep. so we've had careers where i'm sure if we sat down we could come up with a list of like 10 people in our field that we've had those feelings about <laughs> like that's a very human reaction to of things course, and yeah. i don't uh, deny people that, the right to have that. But, you know, again, we also live in a culture where people are, you know, everything happens faster than it ever did before. Yeah. and um, Which is good, which means every, everyone forgets things faster than they did absolutely, before. Absolutely, that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, if anybody's worried about anyone's meteoro- uh, meteoric rise, they just have to, like, sit back and remember that, like, the fall is just as, as fast, if not faster. Yeah. And, like, if anything, I do, I do feel like we should I mean, trying to be a little kinder about it all. Um, but I get it. I get that people think it should all be like only the hardest working people succeed. But it does start like sounding a little bit like, you know, I think we all sound a little bit like old fogies when we go, in the old days, no one was a flash in
0: the pan. And Which like, is well, so not true. Yeah. I mean, it? like the reason that you, the reason it's easy to say, like, oh, I can't name anyone who was a flash in the pan. Like, yeah, because they were flashes in the pan and you right. don't remember them. Sure. I mean, we, you know, the, I used to talk to people in the, you know, when I was in college, we to talk to people in the music department. Like, yeah, there were hacks in Mozart's day. It's just those people in Vienna just disappeared. Right. Like, that's right. why you don't know who was writing like the hacky, right? You know. And again,
1: and also, you know, the other the other side of the coin is throughout history there have been talented people that haven't gotten their time in the sun. Right. Like, that has happened because this is not, um,
0: this is not the, the most fair. Thing. Uh, the profession. It's not, and it almost seems like there's a certain amount of, especially today, like a certain amount of ugh, like marketing savvy or something that you need to possess, that it's more right. than just, you know it's more than just, oh that guy is the funniest comic in the room, that doesn't always right. mean any, that he's gonna pop
1: Absolutely, and look, there's a reason that marketing has become a you know, lucrative business is because it's obviously an effective tool and yeah. I get that, I mean again, like we the, I think all our frustration with that comes down to the fact that we are constantly reminded how flawed we are as humans that we fall for things <laughs> that we're ashamed of later. And constantly. we want to be a place that we're like, you know, the great thing about humanity, we rewarded the best people and we didn't let any assholes through. Oh, <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> so. Uh, I thought you did an amazing job at the, uh, the, the press, uh, the, the, the correspondence uh, dinner. thank you. Oh, my God. I can't. I mean, even just watching that, even though I didn't, even though I don't know you, I still like, I got nervous for you, like, oh my god, you're gonna get him, the fucking president, right there, yeah. and all these, be- and uh, you know, like uh, just the fun cutaways of the audience are just like Trump, just sit, just sitting all. It's
1: great. I was very one of the things that I was very happy about is you don't really see the audience particularly well from where you are oh you don't okay I mean you can but there's so many it's like the sea of people and it's not even like um if you performed at like an award show where there's like rows of people it's like a mess of tables and some people's backs and shoulders and weird angles so it all kind of like blends together um and, again, like, I've done enough of those things uh, where you learn not to try to, like, look for particular, not, like,
0: try to find expressions. Right. Oh, it's just, well, they would cut to the audience. And, it, and, honestly, because it's in a hotel, like, yeah. like multi-use room. Right. It, it just, like, everyone there is 110 years old. And it just sort of yeah. looks like, oh, so they dressed up, uh, it's a retirement home, and they've come in for entertainment. Uh, but you did an amazing job. And you you wrote, uh, I think, what was one of my favorite jokes of last year, which was you said C-SPAN was, I think it was like one unpaid electric bill away from being a radio station. Yeah. It's like fucking amazing. It
1: was great. I had a, you know, we I got lucky that we had three weeks off from SNL before it, and I brought in, you know, a bunch of really funny guys I trusted. Um, you know, guys like John Mulaney, um, great Neil Brennan, Alex Bayes, Mike Shoemaker, who were guys that, you know, I just trusted so much, and we just sat down and kind of put together that 20 minutes but that was a really one of the most fun days. Was just that sense of like, because if you look back through the history of uh, the Correspondence Dinners, like pretty much C-SPAN has never come away unscathed, like throughout right. the years. So it was like we have to come up with like five C-SPAN jokes
0: that have never been told before. It's it's the most bizarre. <clears throat> it's the most bizarre. I think a uh, performance environment because essentially you're sort of encouraged to roast people, right? But at the same time. Everyone's assholes are really tight about like oh, is, mm-hmm. oh you just said that about the guy you know it's not it's not like watching the roast like a roast on Comedy Central where everyone's like ah fuck everyone right it's really you're taking shots at people that still make people uncomfortable like oh he's that guy's sitting right there and it's the president or it's, yeah.
1: yeah it was funny you know there was a there's a guy. Um, a couple guys who write for Jimmy Fallon um, Eric Legend and Jeremy Bronson and Jeremy Bronson used to work in DC and he was really good at saying like you know like it's really the press likes when you make jokes about them Mm -hmm. because they like the you know I think they want whereas you know you can make fun of politicians we do that here you know week in and week out but the fun was, like, being specific mm-hmm. to different news organizations. Yeah. And, but it is this really delicate thing of, like, you're constantly buying goodwill with a joke that you're going to spend later. <laughs> like, right. Uh, and, of course, the trickiest thing is you, you know, um, Robert Smigel, who wrote on Conan's when Conan did it back in the late 90s, said, like, the crazy thing is if you lose the president, you lose the room. <laughs> yes. Because they're all, like, as interesting as you may be to watch, they're watching the president watch you. Yep. And you go, oh, yeah, that's what I would be doing. And uh, fortunately for me, you know, obviously you, you do the correspondence dinner. Um, you know, you answer when called. But uh, Obama, uh, President Obama, has a pretty good sense of humor. so he, would, did,
0: he did seem like a good audience member. Like, he did, and I, I did feel like that he understood the nature of what it was supposed to be.
1: Absolutely. And he's, uh, you know, his act was great as well. Like, he was, I mean, I, I remember my biggest fear of being thinking that I had to follow the president. Right. He was then, like, doing great in the room. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, he was a good sport. And, you know, we had uh, jokes about him that, I mean, I think the my favorite joke in, in it was saying that he would, uh, the candidate he would be in real trouble against would be Obama in 2008. Right, right. Because like, he would kill him in the election. <laughs> uh, but that was a joke that he kind of went along with, and that was probably the one we... You know, probably that had the most honesty behind it because, again, like the candidate that hasn't been Absolutely. president yet is always more likable than the candidate who has. Exactly. And do, did you have to clear any of the jokes with anyone? You know, we didn't. And it's pretty great because you don't actually get hired by the White House, you get hired by the Correspondents Association. And so, you know, there's a real freedom of the press to it.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. And so they never asked for it. And in fact, C SPAN wanted um, my script. I think so that they could find and cut to people in the audience oh, okay. um, but I didn't want that because I didn't want uh, my act to be judged on the reactions of the people I was telling the jokes about Right. what worked uh, and the reason the only reason they sort of had the camera on Trump is one I think you know he was probably the most fascinating person in the room but also Obama had told a lot of Trump jokes so <laughs> they had a, they had the Trump camera ready to go but I never expected that part of it to be such a big part of it afterwards like as I walked off stage, I got a bunch of texts from people being like, "Try to stay away from Donald Trump. He seems pretty. <laughs> he seems pretty charged up. I'm <laughs> um, more charged down, I should say. He looked maybe
0: <laughs> like his batteries were low. It's such a weird, such a weird time in our culture where like. Like a crazy billionaire is a public figure in that way. Like what it's happened? Crazy. What happened to the shut-in billionaires? Of you know? It, well, the crazy, the thing,
1: robber barons. Absolutely. Like I mean, they're still you know. By the way, those shut-in billionaires are still doing a great. They're job. They're still doing good. You okay, just good. don't know. Yeah. You just don't know them because right. they're shut-in billionaires and they they're actually getting stuff done. But um, he uh, it's the crazy thing to me is is that he expects that he will be taken seriously. Like that it's, expectation is is beyond. It's Every- the most, uh, of all the auda- audacious things he does, that is the most audacious. Every day he looks in the mirror and goes, yep, I'm going out. Absolutely. Looking like this. Do you follow him on Twitter? No. It's I- fascinating due to, the, he. I would say 50% of his tweets he cannot get in uh, 140 <laughs> characters. So they all have, like, the continued... Like, he's so, he won't even, like, he will use Twitter, but he will not play by Twitter's rules.
0: I'm a bad irony follower. Like, I I will follow someone for a couple of days, like, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah. And I'm like, ugh. I no, it's either. true.
1: I'd like, not even, like, I don't think, I don't follow any pop culture people, ironically. But I do follow political people. Like, at some point, I found Twitter good because, like, I do follow, like, opposite opinion news sources from me. That's smart, yeah. Yeah, because, like, sometimes you do want to hear, like, you know, again, like, there are... Excellent writers who have a completely different opinion mm-hmm. than I, and it's better. I find I'm better informed if I at least read their case than I hear somebody scream it on a news program, right? And then I guess Donald Trump at this point I'm following. Ironically,
0: well, I was talking to your p- uh, to your PR uh, lady Lauren before we were talking about Trump, and I was talking about the Trump Soho, yeah, which is a nice hotel, and then sort of accidentally coined the term Trumpulent to mean like because we were t- I was trying to p- I was trying to pinpoint like. It was nice, but why it seemed awkward to me. Right. And what I realized was, a friend of mine was staying there, and I went and saw the lobby. And what I realized was, there's something about the nature of Trump and everything that he's involved with that, where you look at everything, and it's just screaming to tell you how much money it costs. Right. As opposed to just, like, being nice, and you're like, oh, yeah, that, uh, that crystal chandelier, that's expensive. <laughs> the other thing is, it can't
1: look as nice as he's told you it looks. <laughs> Like, he is the opposite of me. And I think the opposite of most comedians. Like, the the comedians, answer, yes. no comedian is like, like, before I show you a sketch, if I was, like, showing you a sketch, I wouldn't be like, this is the best sketch I've ever written. Right. There's a joke every page. <laughs> You're going to laugh so hard. Here is the sketch. I look forward to your feedback, but let me remind you. Like, you would never do that. Be like, hey, here's this thing. I'm not sure. Like, it's so counter... He's so counter to a, a, a comedian's outlook, which is, like, I don't
0: know. Yeah, he's, he's made from stuff that we were not no, made from. No, and by the way, from. that confidence, like, what I wouldn't give for it. Like, yeah, but I don't know, because I think there's a certain amount of... I think there's a certain amount of ignorance to... I mean, just well, our, it's,
1: our lack of awareness, It's red maybe. pill, blue pill. Like, right. it's sort of like, would you take... I mean, that confidence... Like you are saying, if you had that confidence, like you would be giving away all your self doubt.
0: I think what you are saying is Donald Trump is the Matrix. I think, <laughs> I think that's what you are saying. He is.
1: Yeah, he is the Matrix. He might be the Matrix. He is
0: actually, he is actually the Matrix.
1: Wow, I uh, feel like you and I are going to just sit in silence for the next ten
0: minutes, <laughs> I'm just thinking about Donald <laughs> trip out on, Trump. on that. Yeah. Oh, every time you get deja vu, that means there was a glitch in Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, how long did you start doing stand up?
1: No, I started uh, uh, doing improv comedy. I did that in iO. You were, at you were a, yeah.
0: But you okay, yeah, you did improv. I was in,
1: so I went to Northwestern, mm-hmm. I did it there, and then I did improv Olympic or iO now in Chicago. And then I went out to Amsterdam and worked for this theater company called Boom Chicago. Oh, really? Which, yeah. Which was Chicago guys who started like a Second City theater in Amsterdam. It was a style theater. Was it
0: did you get a lot of uh, did you get a lot of Dutch folks or was we it did. tourists? We did. It was
1: about 50% Dutch. I mean, I went out there April 97, and that was a time where it was probably about 60% tourists, 40% Dutch. But by the time I left, I would say it had flipped. And it just is a place for, I mean, there's not a lot of, like, uh, there's more now, but there's not, there wasn't a huge, like, Dutch comedy scene, and Amsterdam particularly is a place that is pretty, embraces American culture. I mean, like, it's not like American, I mean, if you go to a a movie theater in Amsterdam, it's all
0: American movies. Yeah, it's funny, because I think most people assume, like, oh, you know, um... Uh, we left England and came straight to America. Right. From the New World. Like no actually they went to Holland. Like like so so much of what we have is actually kind of dutch culture as right. well that i've always kind of wanted to go just to see if i go there and go ah my roots well the greatest thing about like living in the west village is like you you sort of uh, you're like
1: oh these streets this is definitely dutch people right. laid these streets out cuz like it's so like a dutch neighborhood L- and...
0: streets lined with panekoken <laughs> exactly <laughs> thick dutch baking you never answering it man no wow. no yeah. no no because i'm i'm foolish enough to think like man i don't i don't I don't know why I've I've reasoned this in my head. I'm like, well, I don't smoke pot. Why should I go to Amsterdam? I'm like, well, because there's nice architecture and other things. Oh, it's there a great. Too.
1: I mean, it's a great European city. And I kind of like got smoking pot out of my system when I was there. Like, I re- that like going there was where I realized that's not what I prefer. <laughs> right. Um, but it's like I go back all the time. It's so beautiful.
0: I should go. It's not that far. Like, from New York, what is it, like, six hours, five hours? Yeah,
1: five and a half, six. Well, no, it's like six and a half. But it is, like, it's because it's such... I mean, it's like, you realize when you want to go to Europe, like, if you want to do the, the like, quick trip, it's kind of like Paris, London, or Amsterdam are the ones that there's a lot of flights, and, you know, you mm-hmm. go direct, and it's not bad.
0: Did you, feel, did you find that performing in another culture in another country, how do you feel like that sort of influenced your comedy? I mean, like, is there probably certain things you can't get away, like, American tricks you can't get away with on stage if you're performing for, you know?
1: Well, I do find that, like, you know, if you are, you know, you're an improv theater in Chicago, and you're surrounded by friends, and you all sort of absorb and share the same pop culture, and you talk about the same kind of shows, and so does the audience, and there is, you know, you can, I, with that said, like, I think pop culture references are not in by the heart of themselves, like, a bad move. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're a good move, but they can become a crutch. Oh, yeah. Like, there is a, you know, you can be on stage, and you can sort of, like, drop,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: A-team references. <laughs> and, you know, and sort of get by. It was nice to be in a place where you sort of became aware. Mm-hmm. By the way, there were other performers who would, like, come out to Amsterdam and just learn the Dutch pop culture references and, like, switch right. trade-out crutches. Yeah. But it was fun that, like, you know, you would go on stage at night, and there would be, you know... Um, you know, there'd be a group of guys from England, and there would be a business, you know, group from from Amsterdam, and there would be some American tourists and some New Zealand tourists, and and there was just like it was a fun way to like go like, all right, what's kind of universally funny? Mm-hmm.
0: And did you say it was sketch or improv? It was both. It was both. It was kind of like
1: a sketch improv format. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's cool. It was
1: great. I don't. It
0: because you, when did you start doing stand up then
1: um I so well I left there and then with a girl I met over there this girl Jill Benjamin we started doing a two person show back in Chicago that was okay. like a sketch improv show that got me hired here and then um you know sort of like my second or third year we were trying to book that show at colleges and it just turned out like colleges didn't want um it's just a hard thing to sell like we got a two person sketch improv show they kind of <laughs> want say stand ups right and I had done a, I'd done one stand-up show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2000. Okay. So I'd done a little stand-up there. And, um, yeah, I just kind of, like, had a chance to open for some people at college shows and, and just started, like... I mean, I, I knew... I'd been on stage a lot. I felt like I could write pretty well, so I just tried to start getting up. And then... Um, but I kind of built stand-up around doing college shows at first and then just okay. sort of
0: kind of recently started doing ticketed shows places. How do you... First of all, where the fuck do you find time to write stand-up? Is it just... Does the stuff bleed out of things that don't make it into yeah, weekend you know, update? Yeah, it's not
1: even that. It's like you... You know, like, because
0: you have to generate so
1: much content here often you'll generate things that don't fit into a sketch format mm-hmm. they don't fit into a weekend update joke um, but you go oh I think you know. I think that's a thing I could talk about on stage and yeah. explain it, it's like what we were talking about earlier like sometimes when you are talking to your people like no the reason this sketch is funny right? and you go oh but the problem is you can't be out there with that sketch explaining it well in stand up you basically are explaining it right. right. so you can take as much or as little time as you want and the other thing you know, for stand-up, is it's it's a far more um, uh, personal endeavor than sketch writing or doing Weekend Update. Like, you know, that's where you can get up and sort of talk about the life you're living and the feelings you're having and your personal outlook right. on things. Um, when you, it, how much of your act, I mean, like, when people come see you, do they expect you to do Weekend Update? It's weird. You realize how people don't know what to expect because there's no, like, I haven't done a special. Right. Um, I think they expect politics, which there is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but it is, it, you know, I realize that most of the joke telling people know me for is, you know, I would say large 80% of it is the White House Correspondents' Dinner and, right. and to some small degree stuff like the Espies, mm-hmm. um, which I've done a couple times. But, um, you know, the nice thing is I do feel like people are at least curious. And if you can sort of win them over in the first 10 minutes, they'll yeah. hang around for the rest of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think you definitely. Yeah, it's like the like Seinfeld say like you you, you kind of get the you get the fame card for like five minutes and then people yeah. are like, "All right, well, maybe, I wasn't be funny."
1: Because uh, it was you know it was really nice to do colleges, which is of course a different kind of show. Like college kids are pretty enthusiastic and they're happy to see people they know from TV. Yeah. With that, so I think that five minutes is like ten minutes in college. A little bit twice sure. time. But uh, Jerry Seinfeld was actually here. We did something. We did a really on the show, and I was talking to him about how I was. I wasn't sure if I should start doing ticketed shows yet. Mm -hmm. And he pointed something out. He's like, here's the thing. The audience will be people that will buy a ticket for Seth Meyers. There will be a... They will be taking a step to tell you they're at least on the lot. Right. Um, Because he was like, it's not like a randomly selected group of people that half don't know who you are. Right. Or anything like that. And so you... And that's what I found is, you know, obviously there's a tone to what I feel like I do in Weekend Update that... um, is the same. I mean, obviously, the same guy just mm-hmm. telling different kinds of jokes. So.
0: Yeah, well, and they also, I mean, you know, again, people coming out to see you on purpose is such a different thing than you going up on a Wednesday night at like the comedy cellar. Of course. Yeah, you know, because they 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 come wanting to like you. Right. Um. So it's I I think it is a pretty it's a pretty fun situation, and then it sucks when you you know I uh, when you go back to just like if you do a club on someone else's show. Oh, of course. And then you still have to go into that mode of the first five minutes of like, no, it's okay to like me here. I'm going to, I got to win you over it's a little the bit. the hardest
1: thing. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Um, cause I don't really do that, uh, hardly at all. And that's the thing that, you know, guys here that, you know, Colin Jost or John Mulaney, who still, you know, go and get up and do Comedy selling. during yeah, the week. Yeah, he's like, amazing. Yeah, that's the part that you just go, like, I don't know how you... Not even, like, <laughs> I don't know how you have the time for that. I don't know how you have, like, the constitution for that. Because <laughs> this show... I mean, we do our best to eat your soul at this show. So the fact that you have any left to bring down to the Comedy seller.
0: Yeah, what's... The, I mean, you... I feel like you went, you pretty quickly kind of jumped the, you know, like, you went, you you started the show in, what, one 2001, yeah. And then by 06, I think you were like, at least co-head writer.
1: Yeah, it was like, uh, I mean, it was a couple things. I had a couple things working in my favor. One is I was not a good cast member, so <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to find a place to book me. Um, But uh, it was not... I mean, like, when I started here, like, I kind of would have predicted in college I would have been a writer more than a performer. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was what I was studying in college. And I got here as a cast member, and I liked to write stuff for other people. Um, So it was a thing that people could notice about me. And, um, yeah, when Tina was getting ready to move on, I was really, uh, you know, I was thrilled that Lauren had seen that maybe that was a job I could take over. So,
0: What was the first sketch that you wrote for the show that made it on?
1: Um... Amy Poehler and I, my fourth show away, and we were just talking about this recently. Um, we did a sketch called Little Sleuths uh-huh. with uh, John Goodman, where we were like an encyclopedia Brown and his sister, and uh, but we were solving like a really gruesome sex crime. <laughs> and it was, it was like the last sketch of the night. It played really great. And it was just like, we used to laugh about it now, because we tried it like seven more times. It never aired. But like that night, that moment, like we were... Talking about a little sleuth's merchandise. Oh yeah. Like of in our head we were like the could see the movie poster, it looked like Wayne's World. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the great I mean that's the thing about this show is like you were constantly the the worst part about having a great show at SNL is when you realize how little connection it has to next week. Right. You know, that like some cast member will go out and they'll just kill it. They'll just kill it. And then all of a sudden it's the next week's table read and like their stuff just is like you know, it's like we're constantly like athletes who've lost a step, and you feel like it's over, and then next week you find it
0: again. And oh, then, yeah. that's that must be that must be a, a horrendously emotional set of checks and balances where you just you, co- yes. you probably come in feeling like, ah, it's me. I just did this thing. What the? Oh, what happened? Oh, I'm no good at comedy.
1: It's awful, and you know the awful part. And I recently heard Norm MacDonald saying this in an interview, which I was like, oh, he's so right. It's like, it's one of the last places where you can, like, for real bomb. Like, you can really bomb at SNL. <laughs> and it's okay. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's not okay, but you are, like, you realize that, like, this is a, an audience that has a certain expectation. You know, again, because this is an audience where if you come to see SNL live... Like, you have incredibly high expectations of what yeah. you expect. You're like, yeah. I hope they'll do a bees, you know? I <laughs> hope I'll see the Blues Brothers. Like, you know, like, you just, you in your head,
0: like, build the perfect show in your I head. I hope no one's coming to SNL and I'm like, I hope they can do the Blues but, Brothers. Yeah, that's true. Oh, my God, do you think Chevy's going to trip over the thing? <laughs> what year do you think this is? But,
1: uh, you know, like, there's just, like, you just sometimes are like, you know, there's no, there's no warm-up comedian between acts you know, say like let's keep it going for,
0: and you can barely, you can barely, you don't really have the opportunity to workshop your material except for like you know at a at a, at a couple run-throughs. At
1: a couple run-throughs. I mean, the great news about dress rehearsal is, you know, dress rehearsal feels exactly like the show. We treat it like that. We do it at eight o'clock. We have a completely different audience in, and they are they are the part of the show that we could not do without. Mm-hmm. They are the the real heroes of that dress audience because um they've saved. America for some from some, real, <laughs>
0: from some real duds. What, there must be a, there? i I'm sure you must have a pocket full of sketches where you, in your head, you're like, oh my god, this is, this sketch cannot fail. And you put it up in front of the dress audience, and you're like, what happened? Well, and- we did a, um,
1: I did a thing my first year with Horatio, which was another thing that I was like, Franchise City, which was a uh, comic book talk show. Right. And we did it, the first time we did it was with Ian McKellen, and he played a guy who like, I think like worked at a Panda Express or something, who did... <laughs> The joke was that he did a great Gandalf impression. Right. So he was, you know, of course, and that he killed. Right. And it was really fun. And we're like, oh, this is going to be a thing we'll do. And then we did it with Kirsten Dunst. And it was just like five minutes of silence. And afterwards, Horatio said that he he almost stood up halfway through and was like, we'd just like to apologize. We're going to cut this <laughs> off here. Uh, During the dress rehearsal. Yeah, just like, you know what? <laughs> oh, we're no we're Obviously, we're not going to do this on television tonight. Um, Thank you for your feedback. <laughs> oh. But like you do, there are those, I mean, that, I've rarely... Well, that's not true. Like, sometimes you're, like, mad at the audience. Like, again, that's just a human response. Of course. Why there. can but, you not see that this is funny? But there, more often than not, you're there and you're doing it and you're like, what was wrong with me <laughs> that I ever thought
0: a group of strangers would enjoy watching this? Sometimes the audience in your head is not, you can't trust it. Right. I mean, I feel, for me, I don't know, it might be different for you. I don't feel like a lot of times things that the audience in my head thinks is hilarious. Yeah. Just doesn't do well. It's just well. a
1: funny thing too, like how sometimes—and that's where Lauren is really great at seeing things at a macro level—which is um, sometimes you just like forget to leave out some connective tissue. Like, comedy can be like really scientific that way. Yeah. And that if it's just like, oh, the she—that the way she said that first line was just too loud for right. the way the scene was gonna play. And if she just like lowers her volume, cuts it in half, and it's like those sometimes—that's the amazing thing. With Lauren, he'll make the slightest of adjustment. It's not like he rolls up his
0: sleeves and goes, We need twenty more jokes. Right. But it's
1: often just that.
0: Oh, I never thought of it that. That's actually that's a really interesting approach rather than like right. all right, cut, cut, cut. Like, no, 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 just adjust this. Yeah.
1: Or like, you know what, all that needs is a top. Right. You know, like do a you know, put a bumper for a network. Just do like if you open it with like you're watching the Lifetime Network, right. That will give the audience the information. That you forgot they
0: didn't have. That's right, because in your head, I mean, every, everything's completely contextualized in your head because you thought of it. Right. So of course it makes sense to you. Yeah. And it's just, le- it just, just kind of taking the audience by the hand a little bit and just leading them.
1: Yeah. And sometimes, by the way, sometimes you do something. I did something on uh, weekend update last week in dress that uh, Lauren turned to uh, Alex Bays, who's our weekend update producer, and and very kindly said, "Burn the tapes." <laughs> What was it? I was trying to defend Giselle Buncheon. Okay. Um, but I was defending her uh, with it with a pipe and a British accent, <laughs> and just like immediately lost the
0: audience. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. and I, I feel like Weekend Update. If I were you know, if I were to look at SNL, because uh, obviously, I'm, I think every young comedian mm-hmm. of my generation. Mm-hmm. Of course, SNL was the crowning. Like, oh, that's, of course. Well, that's I, comedy. Like, that's, that's what I want to do. But I think, as I got older, I'm like, I don't know. The environment seems horrifying to me. Like, yeah. just, just, it's it's just super Darwinian, but, like, but instant. Like, it this is. works, that doesn't work, cut that, we gotta do that, yeah. get that guy in. Sorry you're not on the show this week or this week.
1: It's true. I mean, the thing is, like, I do believe that this is a, the one part of the books that I don't find to be true is like I don't find it backstabby as a culture at all but with that said like it's also not back patty because we just don't have time for it like you know like no one's out to get you except for you know the Darwinian part of it which is it's not there's no time to like help anyone catch up yeah. like, no one waits for you to catch up um, with that said like I think Lord is patient with people and I think Lauren understands that this is not a job you learn your first day here Right. and um, very few people kind of come in and are fully formed as a comedy voice and he tries very hard to protect people who are new I mean that's a thing that I think people you know, he, when you're new on the show, Lauren kind of only wants you out there killing. And he'd be perfectly happy if you had, you know, if you had one line in a show and, and nailed it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He wants people at home to go, like, they should use that person more.
0: Right. So he wants them to say that before we actually do it. I think if, of, of all the, you know, if anyone were to say, okay, you can be on SNL now, what would you be? I think that's the weekend update job. Would oh, be it's to- by far the best job. Because it's like you get to be yourself you don't have to be characters and no. make a scene work and you know and
1: you know the other thing is like it's ap- it's completely come from each joke to the next. It's the stand uppiest of the show. Oh, of course.
0: And, like, look, there
1: are certain sketches where you know 30 seconds in it's going nowhere. (laughs) Like, if it's based on performance, if it's based on a voice, if it's, I mean, and by the way, the ones of those that work have the highest upside of anything in the show. Right. But the ones that don't, like, there's no, like, built-in joke halfway through it that's gonna save it. Whereas Weekend Update is like, you know, it's 15 jokes. If people don't go for one, it doesn't necessarily bleed into the next one. You feel the audience resetting with, you, as each graphic resets, and that's what's the best part about it for me. Um,
0: there are definitely people. There are definitely people in the cast, though, that you, no matter how a scene is going, but you know, like with with Fred or, or or with Kristen Wiig, it's just like you still just love them. You're, like, uh-huh. They're so fucking committed. Yeah, almost more than any. In the history of the show, I because I feel like there are certainly casts where there's a, like, oh, they're winking to the audience, like, yeah, look, we're doing this crazy, yeah. you know. But they're so invested character-wise, and I just, I look at that and I go, yeah, it's, not nah, I could never, I wouldn't no, break in a second. I couldn't do
1: that as well. I mean, like, I've always, there are times where, like, someone will pitch an idea for me, and I have to remind them that, like, I am nothing without punchlines and jokes. <laughs> like, there's no, like, there's no way I can, like, keep a piece of texture alive the way someone like Fred or Kristen do. I mean, Fred's... We did... I think we... I mean, we cut it because we had to, but there was a time where he was doing the Dalai Lama dress rehearsal as a Weekend Update guest. Yeah. And it was just bombing so hard, but he had this really funny thing where he would giggle like the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And he just kept doing it. And (laughs) Like, real groaners. Mm -hmm. And then he... I just remember as the Dalai Lama he did that thing, which was not on cards or anything, where he like hooked his fingers in his collar and was like, Yay. <laughs> and just watching that on the monitor, I was like, This is this is a special
0: moment. Have you have you had the moments where you want to just break and be like, Okay, you know what? Never I mean you, I guess you can do yeah. that on weekend update.
1: Well there are like um, you know, every now and then we cut together dress rehearsal, like the jokes that bomb so hard that I have to like address the audience. <laughs> right. Um because it is that funny. The other funny thing about Updates is there's really nowhere to go when a joke bombs. Like, right. you're caught in this little box. You know, there's no... I mean, that's the thing about, like, in stand-up, you can save a bomb joke. Mm-hmm. But, like, we can update you are just, like, trapped in a box. You know, it's...
0: Maybe, but I think just because the, the freedom that you have is that the next joke could kill.
1: Absolutely. Well, and that's why right, you just... So you have to move on to it. Like, yeah. they they want... They don't want
0: you to spend a lot of time, like, talking about why that one bombed. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I it was just... I. I've sort of learned pretty quickly on the road. Like you know, the audience kind of wants to follow you. Like they're, you're, they're by coming to see you perform, they're asking you to lead them in a way. Right. Down this sort of, of weird course. comedy journey, and so you know, if something doesn't go over well, if you don't linger on it, they're not. They'll forget. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. they're fine if you just sort of move on, and you don't seem that right. bothered by it. Then they're not going to be that bothered by it. But it's so hard because you so want to be like. Don't think I don't know right. that that didn't go well. Well, it's weird. I mean, like, you
1: can, of course, a confidence game will only last so long. Right. You know, like, uh, the best con men, of course, have to show some sort of results. Sure. So, I mean, I think as a as a good comedian, you can have a joke bomb here or there. But obviously, at the end of the day, like, more has to work yep. on merit <laughs> than doesn't.
0: How do you kind of balance the, you know, the sort of the, the head writer job, but then also, but your own personal Little space within the show. Up
1: uh, within the show, like we, I kind of don't even like flip over to update until Friday. Um, we have uh, three writers who specifically write update jokes: um, uh, Alex Bayes, Pete Schultz, and Jess Conrad. Mm-hmm. And so they're sort of working on jokes all week, and then actually this is the room at five o'clock on Friday. We'll sort of start reading through, and it's about like six hundred jokes.
0: Oh my god!
1: And then of those six hundred, I mark about a hundred. Jesus. And then um, Bays uh, and Scott Weinstein, who's one of our producers on Update, they'll kind of cut those hundred down to thirty, and they do a great job. Like whenever I come in on Saturday morning to see the thirty we're at, it's like the thirty I wanted it to be. Right. But then they, then I have to choose twenty to go to go to battle with.
0: How much do you feel like you? What's the balance between like you know just wanting to make the audience laugh, but then actually kind of wanting to, you know, get across some social commentary or kind of Well, that's the fir- you know what we would call the first act of weekend update which is
1: uh before the first guest comes out uh the first like sort of feature um is when we try to tell, you know, our political jokes. Mm-hmm. And again, they are, you know, they are harder than the sort of last act active weekend update where we're sort of talking about crazy stories that happened during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really important to us. Like, we don't feel good if all the jokes are about animals who, you know, did human things. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> the internet would be fine if that were the case, though. The internet would be fine. But again, like, you know. This is puppy bowl culture. It is puppy bowl culture. But the internet also is constantly reminds you how, you know, intelligent parts of it is as well. Like, sure. people do want social commentary. Like, the great jokes are the ones that. Um, you know, do both, make people laugh really hard, and have a thing that sort of resonates with them.
0: Yeah, I was just watching a clip of um, uh, John Stewart, and they they had all these religious figures together, and they were talking about how there's a war on Christianity in America or something, and yeah, it, like they, they tried, they almost compared it to like Nazi, where they basically yeah. compared it to Nazi Germany, and John Stewart was like,
1: uh, absolutely. Look, what Colbert and and Stewart do, I think proves that like people are. There's always going to be uh, people that are
0: smart enough to sure. enjoy the highest level of comedy. So. Yeah. And then what do you... It, it, is your sensibility, like... Do you like to balance between, like, you know, super smart joke and then right afterwards? You're like,
1: ah... We... You know, we I would say we worry less about the, like, how of that. I mean, we want them all to work a lot, really well. Like, for us, like, the biggest thing is, like, I... Like, there's certain jokes I don't want to have right before I turn to the other camera to, like, introduce a guest. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Yeah, like,
1: that's for me. Like, there's ones that, like... Sometimes I want a joke that's going to kill to be the next one. Mm-hmm. Like, so that I can tell that, have a moment where I get to just, like, play to that camera. Like, I don't want to, like, move away. I don't want to turn look away from them after killing. Right. <laughs> so, But now you probably
0: have a set, you probably have this sort of ingrained sense of, like, the, how the flow works. Absolutely. Really I mean, I've been doing
1: it a, a long time, and I think we and we've been working with the same people for a long time, so I think we all kind of without spending too much time talking about what we were trying to do every week know what each other wants the best piece of advice I got was actually from uh, I talked to Dennis Miller on his radio show and he gave me which I've done ever since he I would say you know uh, uh, I'm Seth Meyerson here at Tonight's Top Stories and then I would turn to my camera and they would cut on the turn and he said let them cut first and then turn he oh. was like and he was like make the audience wait for you. Oh, Which was just such an awesome thing to say. Which you would never
0: just... I would aud- never know. So- and, like,
1: getting... Again, there's so few people who have done this job. This specific job. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have done things that are similar to it. Like, nothing beats getting advice from a
0: person who's done it. Who's it. done it, yeah. Because there's a tiny club. Absolutely. What do you want to do? Like, if you ultimately... Obviously, you probably aren't <laughs> going to say this forever. No. So what is it that you... You know, do you want to be a talk show host? Do you want to just, like... Show run something? I don't know. I,
1: I, I hope that um, I'll have options. My biggest fear is that whatever I do will seem boring compared to this. Because um, this job is... I mean, uh, there's good weeks and bad weeks, but it's never boring. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I haven't quite put too much thought into it. The nice thing about show business is, like, um, the best lay plans. Right. Uh, so, you know, at some degree, I just want to keep options open and see if something comes up that makes sense did you sell the, the did you sell the awesomes to MTV we did years ago but now it's uh, now it might be uh, uh, hopefully at Hulu on Hulu oh cool yeah
0: very cool yeah Uh, anything else you want to promote while you're here do you have shows coming up I do I have a bunch of shows uh,
1: next week but I think mostly college but I'm doing like a six show week next week when is this airing Uh, this is where
0: I go up in a couple weeks okay so uh, I don't think we'll miss it well those shows were great thank you you did a great job yeah I mean it was weird that I flew out for all six shows but I really wanted to make sure all went great I thought University of Kentucky particularly (laughs) strong (laughs) there were a lot of good local references there in Kentucky a couple good Cracker Barrel jokes and everything everything worked out fine. any, any people always, I'm sure they always ask you advice, like young writers are like what do I do to get right. into the business I mean it's
1: hard I mean like I the thing I did that worked for me was I tried to get up on stage whenever I could mm-hmm. I mean I think that kind of goes without saying like they have to You have to make it easier for people to find you. Right. um, Because they're all too busy to look really hard. Yeah. So, you know, like, and the thing is, like, even here at SNL, when we look for writers or cast members, a lot of times it's someone we trust who is somewhere we weren't was like, hey, you have to look at X. Yeah. Um, You know, uh I think, you know, Bill Hader we found because Megan Mullally saw him in a show. Yeah. And, you know, so stuff like that. But, again, if he wasn't doing a show, she wouldn't have seen him.
0: And if you can do improv for Stone People in Amsterdam... Yeah. Then you have the confidence to get up and perform in front of the president of the United States. That, I guess <laughs> if we could take away anything from this from this hour. No, but the more literally, the more the more shows you can put ankle weights on yourself. Oh, absolutely. The, the better.
1: I did a lot of corporate. Th- our theater oh. did a lot of corporate shows in Holland. Oh. And that was, I will say, like you can't bomb like you can bomb with like fifty six foot two guys from Eindhoven and like wire rim glasses and like.
0: It's almost not bombing though because there, it's those situations are. It almost it, but it feels like bombing. Like <laughs>
1: there's no time where you tell a joke and a room full of people just stare at you dead faced. It doesn't feel like bombing. I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah,
0: I'm sure they enjoyed it internally. I don't think so no. because the
1: great thing about the Dutch is they're, they are classically honest. Sure. And they will. I remember guys after shows being like, uh, Mess, I did not care for it." <laughs> oh, th- thank you yeah.
0: for your input. Yeah, sir. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here, Seth Myers. It was awesome. It Thanks was, for coming Oh, here. my God. This is amazing. And uh, a special musical guest was Slave <laughs> yeah, Thank
1: you for Slave elves. It's been a great week. Thank you to the cast and oh writers.
0: God. Lauren, this was great. We've never met. But, God, thank you so much for having me in the green room and uh, everyone else. It was really was fantastic. Uh, cool. Thanks, man. Thank you, buddy. Good to see you. Now
1: leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.
0: This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone, and type in Nerdist to receive a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and free postage. But only if you enter the promo code Nerdist at Stamps.com.